there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be challenging until we get there. You know, that UQ, which is a quality ETF, I think is still a very good way to play it. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Capital markets are rallying thanks to positive news on the vaccine front. But is it too soon to go on the offense? In this episode, our experts, Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host, Mark Race, lay out strategies to get the best of the positivity while staying cautious on both equities and fixed income, especially as we continue to deal with headwinds such as unemployment, rising cases of COVID-19, and overall volatility. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO Games Canada, covering ETFs and funds. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us this morning. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening in. Today, we are joined by Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equities and derivative portfolios, while Alfred focuses on fixed income and preferred shares. Let's get started. Uh, Certainly, we'll begin with the optimism that's out there in equity markets, where once again, we're now seeing the major indexes uh, hitting new highs. That's on the back of now seeing two promising vaccine results, uh, pointing to hopefully better days ahead. But is this unbridled optimism realistic considering what's going on immediately with the surging infection rates, the political unknowns, and of course the current state of the economy? So does this finally point to a, a broader rally compared to what we've seen over the summer focused on the new economy names? And Chris, I'll give this to you. Uh, how would you approach this market and does our defensive growth strategy uh, still make sense? Thanks. Sure. And, you know, as, as you say, um, we are seeing the markets again um, reaching all-time highs. But I think it's important to um, realize that, you know, the growth we've seen coming out of the March sell-off really has been very narrowly focused, you know, up until very recently. So, you know, when, when markets were reaching new highs in August and again in October, um, you know, that growth was really concentrated in uh, very sub small subset of names and and sectors, you know, primarily the IT sector and those companies that have benefited from, from stay at home, you know, whether they're established players like Amazon and Netflix or, or newer players like zoom, um, you know, those were really the companies that have led the market higher up until very recently. Um, And then, as you say, you know, with positive news coming on, not just one, but potentially two, um, different vaccines. I think what that has done really is is turned on that light at the end of the tunnel for for the broader market and for the broader economy. Um, you know, there's now at least an indication that there may be an end 
to the stay at home um, sort of market and, and, and to, you know, what we've been living through over the last, uh, call it eight, nine months. Um, you know, the, the unknown, of course, is how far that light is still away. Um, and I think, you know, to your point, uh, surging infect, infection rates right now, political unknowns, you know, the economy not, um, you know, certainly rebounding better than expected, but not doing particularly great. Um, still a high level of unemployment out there. And, you know, I think um, realistically looking out, there could still be a very tough six months ahead. Um, you know, call it, you know, two quarters or potentially even more um, considering we're going into winter months. Um, you know, the um, hospitality sector, I think, is still going to go through some particularly bad days with restaurants, you know, indoor dining being shut in many areas, um, you know, patios starting to close for the winter. That's going to lead to a lot more unemployment. And we've seen, um, you know, Goldman Sachs actually very recently announcing more layoffs there as well. So you're, you're still going to see um, a high number of uh, potential layoffs coming in the next few months. Um, that unemployment number is still going to be significant. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what consumer spending is like through the holiday season. You know, early indications are that it won't be as strong as it might have been recently. Um, although, granted, you know, recent years have had, you know, pretty much record numbers in terms of retail sales in the holiday season. We might not get there this year. Um, but, you know, we, we do think um, there's still it still makes sense to have that sort of defensive um, quality exposure in your equity market or in your equity exposure, you know, certainly there is the conditions being laid for a broader rally that, you know, different sectors and different companies can participate in. Um, but it's still going to be relatively choppy over the next several months. And so I think it, it, it makes sense to stay where we are in this sort of defensive um, quality equity exposure. If I could uh, just quickly jump in as well, you know, I echo a lot of the same thoughts. Uh, you know, one thing I've been tracking is, uh, so one ratio, Disney to Zoom. Uh, so two stocks that have also, you know, fared very differently since the lockdown happened. Uh, you know, that ratio is up, you know, 40% since that Pfizer news broke out last Monday. Uh, so there, there's a lot of optimism in terms of uh, an economic reopening right now. Uh, but the best way I would say it is, you know, as, as you know, Chris kind of mentioned, would be cautiously optimistic, right? I think... Right now, even though there is a you know two very promising vaccines, there's still a lot of stumbling blocks ahead. Um, so Pfizer is applying for FDA approval in the next several days, but no vaccines have been approved so far. Uh, very limited data as well, and, and there's no test conducted on children. So there's there's a lot of implementation. There's there's uh, distribution and logistics that need to be worked out still. Uh, and also, you know, Fauci says. Uh, you know, potentially vaccines will be will be released by uh, December, best case scenario. Uh, but that obviously will be for frontline workers and the older demographics first. I think, you know, to get the broader population uh, vaccinated, that's probably not going to be until you know mid mid 2021 at best. Um, so I think, you know, as you mentioned, Mark, I think in the meantime, uh, infection rates are still going to climb. So shutdowns are still going to be uh, very possible. Uh, if you look at Europe, UK and France are, are shut down. Uh, potentially, we see that in North America, depending on what, uh, how infection rates look. So, you know, to Chris's point, I think, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be challenging until we get there. But, you know, ZUQ, which is a quality ETF, I think is still a very good way to play it. I think, you know, it's, uh, 
you know, to put in your words, I think there's a lot of new world staples in there. Uh, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft that are going to perform well no matter what happens in the economy. But there's a lot of older world staples as well. So Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson. But then you also have uh, companies that are going to perform well if we get an economic reopening like Paychex, Visa, MasterCard. And then if a lockdown happens, you know, Costco, uh, Procter & Gamble, Nike. Uh, but then, you know, last but not least in ZUQ, you also have uh, companies that are tied to the vaccine. So, you know, Pfizer... Uh, Merck, uh, Regeneron as well. Um, so I think the best way to play it right now is to invest in companies that are cash rich, uh, which quality companies, if they also have that low financial leverage, they're going to benefit. They're going to be well positioned if, if there is a shutdown. Uh, but if we get an economic reopening further down the road, uh, they're going to be well positioned uh, if that happens as well. All right. Thanks for that. Chris, I'm going to come back to you on the uh Something a little more specific this week. Uh, on the indexing front, we've got the expected inclusion now of Tesla in the S&P 500, which caused the stock to jump uh, about 10% at, uh, at the overnight news. Can you remind us of the inclusion rules uh, for this index and really just touch on why this announcement would then mean so much to the stock price? Thanks. Sure. And, you know, this is something that uh, investors have been looking at for for some time now. You know, I think it was the previous quarter when Tesla reported their earnings, uh, positive earnings. Um, you know, speculation started back in August that they would be added to the S&P 500 in September. Um, you know, the the interesting thing about the S&P 500 that many, many people forget is that it's not a strict um, numbers-driven methodology for what companies uh, make make it into the index, there is an index committee that actually ultimately decides uh, what companies go in and when they go in. Um, but primarily what has kept Tesla out um, up, up to this point is that there is a, a profitability requirement for the S&P 500, which indicates, you know, a company's most recent quarter, as well as the sum of its most recent four quarters, need to have a positive um, profit, you know, by gap accounting standards. Um, so really all companies that are in the S&P 500 do have that profitability measure applied to them to get into the index. And, you know, up until recently, Tesla did not meet that requirement. Um, so, you know, what was announced uh, very recently is that, you know, now that Tesla does meet that profitability requirement, it will be added at the December um, rebalance for the S&P 500. You know, what, what does that mean for the stock price? Why did you see that bit of a jump? Well, you know, it's estimated that, you know, just from pure, you know, mandates that, that purely track the S&P 500, there's going to be about 50 or $60 billion worth of buying uh, into that stock. So, um, you know, ZSP, our, our ETF that tracks the S&P 500, you know, up until now hasn't held Tesla at all, of course, because it's not in the index, but on that December rebalance date, um, you know, our, our ETF, as well as several others around the world, will be buying that stock. Um, so 60, 50 to $60 billion of buying pressure. Um, you know, a lot of investors think, you know, that's going to create upward pressure on, on that particular stock. You know, the other thing is that, of course, uh, you know, countless active managers that are benchmarked against the S&P 500 that up until now haven't had to make a decision on Tesla will at least have to consider um, if they want to own that stock as well. And so there could be a, a good chunk of active managers that are somewhat, you know, not forced to buy the company, but, you know, 
likely have some exposure to that company in order to 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 gain exposure that'll be a little bit closer to to what the index is is showing as well. Um, you know, this really is um, you know a, a pretty rare event that a company this large. Um, gets added into the index. In fact, you know, Tesla's over $400 billion market cap. The last time a company got added that was anywhere near this size was Berkshire Hathaway about 10 years ago. They were less than half the market cap of what Tesla is now, um, but still still was uh, about a 1% weight in the index. Tesla is going to be expected to be a little over 1% of the S&P 500 and certainly near, if not in, uh, the top 10 companies that are going to be in that index. And so I think what you've seen is this little bump uh, based on, again, that speculation that $60 billion of buying pressure will drive that stock price up. You know, we do think that is obviously just a one-time event. Um, you know, getting into the index might create a little bit of that price bump, but really what ultimately is going to be driving, um, you know, that company's stock price is whether they can execute on, um, you know, the manufacturer of the amount of, uh, electric vehicles, they, they they think they can do as well as the demand for that going forward. And, you know, we have seen in recent days, actually, uh, here in Canada, Quebec has announced they are going to ban uh, the sale of gas-powered cars by 2035. And we've seen BC do that. We've seen California do that, uh, much of Europe as well. So there is an expectation that, you know, over the next, call it 10 to 20 years, um, you know, there could be a, a huge shift to electric vehicles and zero emission electric vehicles um, of which Tesla is going to be a big part of. So, you know, I think it makes sense, obviously, that it's in, included in the benchmark index. Um, a lot of investors have been waiting for that. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out uh, in December when it does get added. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And you make a good point. There's always that quick move off the news, but then, uh, you know, you got to watch over the next little stretch to see how actually the market absorbs that. So let's switch gears to fixed income. Uh, Alfred, this will come your way. How has fixed income been reacting to the vaccine news? Uh, we've been advocating you know, building protection with an allocation to longer term, uh, generally government bonds. But how has this market shifted uh, over the last couple of weeks, and does that trade still apply? Thanks. Um, yeah, we've definitely seen rotation into you know higher yield, kind of higher beta uh, areas of the fixed income market. Uh, but overall, you know, I would still advocate you know five to ten percent position in either you know ZFL or ZTL or, or you know government bond ETFs in general. Um, just as a long-term strategic, you know, position in the portfolio. I, I do think that uh, having, you know, those defensive positions does, um, you know, allow a portfolio to be, you know, more efficient over time. And it's, it's always good to have those, um, you know, protection against, you know, those black swan events as well. But uh, overall, I think if we're being tactical, I think, you know, high yield may make some sense here um, if we do see an economic reopening. But, you know, as we've kind of reiterated through the call, I think, you know, it's going to be a choppy ride over the next, you know, four to five months until we get that uh, economic reopening. But, you know, if you look at high yield, I think, you know, a lot of those companies have been hit the hardest, um, especially, you know, some of the sectors like energy and consumer uh, cyclicals, which make up 35% of ZJK, uh, which is our high yield ETF. Uh, those sectors will obviously perform well if we get an economic reopening. Uh, but over the last two weeks, so since the Pfizer news broke out last Monday, 
uh, CDX high yield spreads have tightened 85 basis points on that Pfizer news. So uh, right now, if you look at high yield spreads, um, trading at about 330 basis points, uh, the tightest they do get uh, in the pre-COVID days is around 290 basis points. So overall, I would say, you know, a lot of the easy gains have already been made, uh, but there is some, you know, spread compression opportunities from, from here on out as well. But, you know, do realize that it is potentially a choppy ride to get there. Um, one other trade, I think, you know, investors that are looking for a higher yield, high beta type of play in the fixed income market is uh, emerging markets. Um, I think that's well positioned because I think if you look at uh, emerging markets as a whole and how they've reacted to uh, COVID uh, over the last eight months, they've had no implementation of, you know, uh, non- non-traditional uh, monetary policy measures like quantitative easing. So they haven't had to do that. So the balance sheets are a lot more sound compared to uh, developed countries. And I think overall, I think a lot of times when investors look at emerging markets, they often think of them as, you know, old world economies. So, you know, commodity producers. But over the last 10 years, what we've seen is a lot of the emerging markets are now actually leaders in, in you know, a lot of the new world industry. So take China, for example, they're leaders in, you know, tech, communications, biotech, uh, even things like artificial intelligence as well. So, you know, we do hold China, uh, China bonds in ZEF. Uh, one thing I want to note about ZEF also, which is our emerging market ETF, uh, emerging market bond ETF, is uh, it does use a smart beta weighting strategy, which I think is very important because uh, if you are investing in emerging markets, it doesn't make sense to, you know, overweight those countries that issue the most debt. But by using a GDP weight, what we're doing is overweighting those countries that have uh, the strongest or the stronger growth profiles. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Chris, I want to come back your way here. Uh, how have ESG exposures reacted as the election results, I guess, continue to come in? Uh, President-elect Biden, of course, has announced the environment as one of his key priorities. Um, are ESG ETFs then continuing to react positively uh, or was this already priced into the market when we saw some ESG outperformance uh, throughout the year? Yeah, I think I think it's probably a little a little bit of the latter. Um, you know, as uh, as as we got closer to the election, you know, polling and, and generally you know betting markets and everything was kind of pointing towards a Biden win. You know, no one knew, of course, how how tight it might be or how long it might take to to declare that or to get to that point, but. Um, you know, I think largely it was, um, um, you know, assumed that Biden would win and there, there would be at least some potential movement back towards, you know, environmental standards that have been relaxed um, through the President Trump um, uh, era, you know, coming, uh, pulling out of the, the Paris Accord and, and, and relaxing emission standards and, and several other things as well. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, what you'll see is a little bit, uh, of a reversal from that, you know, certainly there's a, a strong indication that um, President Biden would re-enter um, the Paris Agreement, um, you know, and, and, and 
do a lot to support, you know, we talked about Tesla earlier, um, electric vehicles, you know, whether that's through tighter emission standards on gas powered vehicles or, or um, whether that's through, um, you know, tax breaks and credits for, for EVs and and the like, um, you know, I think that's going to, that's going to be rolled out over the next few years. But I think more, what you'll see is in, in, in a longer term way, this is just going to become normalized. You know, the environmental um, considerations from many different sectors and, and industries, um, the environmental impact is going to be put put first. And so I think, you know, well, we haven't seen a knee jerk reaction out of ESG strategies over the last, you know, call it week or two since the election. I think, you know, long term, um, they're set up very well, at least for the E part of the ESG. Of course, that's only one element of ESG screening is the environment. Um, but I think what you're going to see over the next couple of years is a normalization of the idea of, you know, considering the environment um, in, in every industry that we can or, or that we should. Um, and a move towards, you know, again, entering those global agreements, global coordination around how can we reduce emissions? How can we promote um, other environmentally friendly industries such as EVs and, and, and other things like that. And so you're going to see a, a shift towards that. And again, a normalization of that over the next few years. Um, and I think ESG obviously is, is um, positioned well to take advantage of that. Thanks, Chris. And Alfred, maybe I'll just give you a bit of the same uh, thoughts on ESG fixed income where I think a lot of people have been focused on equities, but of course we've got the, the two exposures on the corporate bond side as well. Sure. So uh, very similar reaction to the equity markets as uh, as Chris outlined. Um, so overall, I would say over the last two weeks, um, really no impact so far. I think you know overall the market's more driven by uh, the vaccine-related news over the last two weeks. So if I look at ESGF, which is our ESG U.S. investment grade uh, bond ETF. It's basically traded in, in line with ZMU, uh, which is our non-ESG, our plain vanilla uh, U.S. investment grade bond ETF. Uh, you know, over the two weeks, those have been, you know, as I mentioned, you know, pretty much in line. Uh, in terms of, you know, the reaction off of the political gridlock, it's been very minimal from my point of view. Um, I think overall, you know, when the market looks at it, I think the market looks at you know, it doesn't really matter who's in the White House at this point. I mean, you know, the Fed's monetary stimulus is probably a larger factor at this point. And also when you look at, you know, the stimulus package that is waiting in the wings, I think that's more of a driving force between behind, uh, you know, what happens in the credit market. Um, but I do believe that, you know, as Chris mentioned, I think over the long term, I think ESG is definitely a longer term trade. Uh, so if you look at Biden, in his platform, he's definitely made a big point about making, you know, social and economic justice a big part of his platform. And then when you look at uh, the vice president-elect, uh, Kamala Harris, she's also taken it one step further and talking about not just equality, but also equitable justice as well. And, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum has also been pushing a lot of green initiatives. So focusing on the greater good, um, you know, less centric uh, on, on, you know, corporations and, you know, focusing on things like stakeholder capitalism. So um, I think ESG is going to be a big story over the next 10 years. But I think things like uh, COVID and, and the shift in the, in the uh, White House has definitely sped up, um, you know, the acceleration towards ESG and ESG mandates. Uh, I think whereas, uh, 
you know, prior to COVID, it would have taken, you know, the last, the next 10 years uh, for the transition of assets from boomers to uh, Generation X to millennials. Um, I think, you know, those changes have definitely accelerated to happen over, you know, the next three to four years, I think. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Well, we're certainly seeing uh, increased interest in, in ESG products and, you know, looking longer term. Uh, if Biden is able to to make some of the changes that that he's proposed, I think certainly there's uh, there's there's strong tailwinds for investing with ESG exposures. So great great to see that we've now got those ETFs out there. So at this point, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Oh uh, yeah, good morning, gents. Uh, I have a question about factor investing. I know you discussed it earlier. And you guys, you did make a strong case for the quality factor exposure. Uh, we've seen, you know, both quality, momentum, and low ball really do well for the better part of this year. But uh, given what we've seen in the early stages of, of this economic recovery, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the value factor. So we've seen value stocks have really been on a historic run of late. Are we finally seeing a breakthrough in the space? Uh, and if any, what ETF would you recommend in that space? Thank you. Thanks. I'll, uh, I'll I'll take that one. And yeah, certainly that is the rotation that that we've been talking about here since the, the sort of vaccine um, news has been announced. You've seen a, a very strong rally in value-oriented funds as well as dividend-oriented uh, mandates, which which have some of that value factor behind them. And you know, these are these are um, you know particularly in the dividend side. Um, factors that you know sold off with the broad market in in March and you know rallied maybe a little bit after that, but we haven't seen them come back to where they were sort of pre-COVID um, or pre-sell off. And you know a lot of that had to do with um, you know financing. Can these companies maintain their dividends? Can these companies um, you know unlock their value if they do have that value embedded in them? Um, you know value investing really does rely on. Um, you know, a catalyst, right? You need a catalyst to unlock the value that's in these these stocks. And, you know, maybe we have seen that catalyst or the, the beginnings of that catalyst catalyst with with the vaccine rollouts um, that we might potentially see over the, again, coming I mean, six months or so. Um, you know, I, I think if you're an investor with a longer term horizon, you know, three years, five years plus, um, you know, it certainly makes sense to look at some of those value-oriented Mandates and again, I would I would maybe um, you know recommend dividend oriented mandates that contain that value factor, but also pay out a decent dividend that allows you to you know as we say get paid while you wait for for them to sort of um, you know work through again this next this transition phase of what we think is going to be a tough six months or so before vaccines do start getting rolled out. Um, you know we have a value ETF ZVU. Um, that gives you exposure to U.S. equities with a value um, factor tilt, or ZVC if you want Canadian equities with that value factor tilt. But again, I would look maybe um, as well as uh, at those dividend-oriented strategies. So ZDY um, for U.S. equities, um, ZUD is our hedged-to-cad version, or ZDV for Canadian equities. Again, companies that are paying decent levels of dividends, um, you know, most um most of these are sustainable dividends, um, certainly given the fact that we, we might see a reopening um, sometime in 2021 or, or, a, or a rebound in, in the economy in 2021. 
Um, so again, I, I kind of like the idea of getting paid um, that nice dividend while you're waiting for the economy to reopen while we're going through this next um, sort of choppy period um, to gain exposure to that to that factor. And, and as we open up and have that broader rally, um, you know, those those strategies and those mandates should participate. Hi, good morning. Uh, just a quick question following good news um, from Moderna around a vaccine to be launched. Uh, what, what ETF does BMO offer that have exposure to Moderna? Sure, uh, I could take that one. So uh, we do have two ETFs that have uh, Moderna's holding, so ZUH, which is our equal weight uh, healthcare ETF. Um, has Moderna as one of the, one of the top holdings. Uh, it's also held in ZQQ and ZNQ, which is our uh, NASDAQ ETF, albeit at a much smaller weight. I think, um, you know, in addition to Moderna, we also have some potential good news coming from AstraZeneca, which is next in line to disclose their results. Uh, Johnson & Johnson Merck are, are not far behind in, in terms of disclosing their vaccine data as well. Then you have a number of uh, international vaccines that are, you know, in phase three as well. So overall, I think, you know, all this is, you know, good news for the uh, markets in general. But overall, I, you know, from my point of view, I, I don't think we need direct act, direct exposure to the vaccine makers. I think, you know, the introduction of the vaccines is good for the uh, markets in general. So, you know, take, for example, Disney, which we often talk about as, you know, being very exposed to, you know, COVID, meaning that if we get an economic reopening, this is probably going to be highly leveraged uh, to an economic reopening. Uh, Disney is up 20% in the last week and a half. So, um, again, you know, we've been saying quality is a good way to play it. Um, but ZDU, which is our value ETF, is probably a more leveraged way to play uh, an economic reopening. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in this morning. Uh, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for the questions as well. And to Chris and Alfred, of course, thanks for your insights, uh, your views on the markets, your trade ideas. Uh, and really giving us some topical conversations that we can take back to our to our own conversations today. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone one last time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and Mark Reyes for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. It comes as no surprise that as we navigate the markets in the midst of a pandemic, quality continues to be a requisite shot in the arm for most portfolios. ZUQ, which includes Pfizer, offers the defensive tilt, whereas if there is an appetite for more offense, look to ZEF, which leverages the more stable emerging economies like China. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.
Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.